Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and welcome back to Pixlet Talk. As I'm your host, Herman, and today we have someone very special, a special guest. He connects the Southeast Asian NC and Dota to the rest of the world. And without further ado, let's hit right into our intro, shall we? So, skip the intro in three, two, one. Welcome, you're listening to Pixelate Talk, and I'm your host, Herman. On this show, we talk everything from entertainment to education. But before I hit any further into the episode, let's introduce our guest for today. As you know just now, he connects the scene of Southeast Asia and China to the rest of the world. It's none other than Leon Arthur Lee. Hi, Leon. Welcome to the show. Hey, Herman. Hi, thanks for having me. Great to have you here. Can you give a small introduction about yourself to those that maybe do not know you yet? I want to know more about you. Well, um, my name is uh, Leon Arthur. You guys can call me either Leon or Arthur. I'm totally fine with either one. So I'm, I'm a caster right now. I'm, a ta- I'm, I'm looking to go into talent. And so uh, when I'm not doing that, I'm also doing some um, writings. I publish articles. I do interviews. I do podcasts as well. Um, and before that, before I decided to go into this talent route. I was also coaching and managing teams as well. Uh, so that's kind of what I do and what I've been doing since graduation three years ago. Yeah, uh, can you just tell us what you graduate from that actually led you to this entire part of esports? Um, I graduated from University of Nottingham. I actually studied finance and economics. Uh, but I'm not doing anything that is related to that right now. So... It was, uh, it was in my second year where I went to China, Ningbo, for, um, as a transfer student. Wait, exchange student, sorry. So when I was there, you know, I get to see firsthand how developed and established the esports scene is in China. And you know, streaming was very popular back then. It was just the beginning of the streaming. So it was quite fascinating to me. And then at that point, it raised a lot of interest for me. And I, I just felt like damn, this is something that I want to do when, I'm, when I came back to Malaysia after graduation. So is that actually why you started this series called Connecting the Dots? Uh, not exactly, because when I just started in esports, I was, uh, I was a coach and manager in GitFam. And then after that, I, I branched out to being a talent. But, you know, it, this, creating this podcast, the idea of it had haven't came to me until the third year of my career. So it was just very recently that I came out with this idea of, you know, because before this, I have always, I'm a, I'm a, as, I have always been a fan of listening to podcasts, interviews and stuff like that. Anything that can connect me a little bit closer to the players because I love storytelling. I love listening to story as well. Then I just think to myself, I, you know, during my time of casting and managing and coaching players, I kind of, you know, gather myself a pool of players that I can connect with. So why not I just use this um, opportunity to interview them to ask them about their stories. Do you think that creating this series in itself, do you think it actually gives you a feeling of like, actually things are so much deeper than it is from the surface from you see. Do you think, do you give out that vibe from after this entire podcast? Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I think, I think one thing that I'm, 
when I was a spectator or just a casual viewer back then, I was very interested in what, what are the personality of, you know, of these players, how do they communicate, how do they behave behind the scene, you know, when we are not seeing them on screen, how are they like? So I have all this kind of question and interest. So um, having this podcast is also one of the way for me to find out. And also, I believe there is a lot of people like me out there that are super interested in knowing more about these pro players. And I think this is a very big reason why I started this show. In your opinion, like, um, no harm to anyone. Do you have one specific player that you interviewed before and you're like, this is really different, this is really fascinating? Or do you think this all of them is really special and unique? Uh, I think most people, when I, when, I, when I hop onto the podcast, I don't know what to expect from them because I know that, you know, a lot of us, we aren't exactly how we are when we're on screen and off screen. And I think a lot of players... I find it very interesting to talk to them, to know another side of them. And I feel like so far, all the players have been pretty amazing and fascinating. Um, so very recently, I interviewed um, the director of Fnatic, his pal, and I, I was just like so mind-blown and eye-opening to me because I'm able to learn so much from them um, to how Fnatic has been approaching the team as a whole and their vision and mission and stuff like that. So I was just very happy that he's so open to me and I am very happy that I'm learning so much as well by doing this podcast. Of course. Uh, I think those that know you, that knows that you are a Dota player and of course you are do casting on Dota and so many more. If you don't mind, what position do you play? Just curious. Uh, so when I'm really truly grinding, I think I play support role. Yeah, but I, when I'm just having fun, I, I'll play any other role as well. But I'll play them like, you know, less competitively more casually, but when I'm really grinding or maybe when I play some casual tournaments, I'll be playing supports. Mostly position five, I would say. Do you think supports, specifically position five, are like that captain that really needs to show them how, show them and motivate them? Do you think that is the role of a post five? I think most of the time, yeah. But I, I think it really depends on what kind of players that you have on your team as well. Uh, some of the players, um, in Southeast Asia, I would say a lot of the core players, um, they are pretty young, pretty inexperienced in a way. Um, so I think a lot of times you see in, in Southeast Asia, especially the post five and post four are normally the veterans. So they make the short call. Um, but yeah, I think, I think in other regions, for example, like China, their core players are super vocal. So most of the time, you as a position five, you don't really need to do so much in terms of short calling in a macro sense, most of the time you are just, you know, I, I guess if you if you're able to enable your core players to do what they want to do and you let them lead the lead the game, that would be fine as well. So it really depends on what kind of um dynamic and atmosphere the team is as and the players as well. Mentioning about core players being very loud, I've heard your interview and podcast with NTS, nothing to say. Yeah. And he mentioned that Ami is really Ami, if you are listening in the English stream. AME, if you're listening from a Chinese stream, do you think that's what made PSG actually so different from other teams? Um, I'm not really, I, I, I don't know, man, because I, when I talk to Nothing to Say, he kind of said that, okay, us as a team, we talk to AME, you know, we tell, we, we tell him that, all right, if you think you're strong, you need to voice out, you need to speak out. So to me, I take that as one of the very rare or little me. Um, weaknesses from AME it's because he's quite, kind of a quiet guy but I think I don't know I, I just feel like when you're in Dota right 
you somehow need to find a way to contribute in the teen atmosphere. And communication is definitely something that you can't miss out. You can't be winning games by not talking anything and not sharing any ideas to your teammates. So I still think no matter what, um, no matter how good you are, you need to find a way to communicate, to voice out to your, to your teammates so that they know how to enable you as well. I'll slightly search a bit, bit since you're talking about carries. VP, uh, Virtuous Pro, they need, their new carry peer is at 2k MMR. Means basically it's way below the usual pro place bracket, you can say. Do you think that brings Wait, sorry? Like pure? He's 2k MMR? He's, two, he's been calibrated 2k. Oh, you mean he used to be 2k? No, he is 2k. Really? Yeah, I just saw it just now, like three hours ago. Okay. All right, all right, cool. Do you think that- uh, I'm not too sure about that, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, think, I'll check again later, I'll fact check later, but that's why I saw this now. I'm not sure how legit is it, but if that is the case, do you think it brings an entire different dynamic? As you can see, OG, I think OG actually literally just went down the leaderboard and just see, okay, no team, I'll pick this up. And do reaction time play such a big role? Reaction time? Since they're so uh... young, you know. I think I think you know reaction time definitely plays a bit of role when you are on the heroes that really requires reaction time, especially heroes like Morphling, heroes like PL. You know, there's some kind of heroes that requires a ton of uh, microing skills. I think I think those definitely favor the young players more, especially heroes like Morphling. Uh, that's why Twenty Three Savage is so good on that hero, right? Because it's so young, he plays it so much. It's all muscle memory in a way. So yeah, but I. But to me, if you ask me, is that the biggest um, value or qualities you're looking from a player? Probably not so much of that. Obviously, that would be a bonus. You know, if you're high skill enough, that would be a bonus. But I think in, a, in the highest level of Dota, you want skill, you also want communication and experience as well. Mm-hmm. So, she's a mention about grinding just now. How many hours do you play a day on like just grinding sessions? Um, when I was really, really grindy, I think I play like easily six hours minimum a day. Yeah, so, so that's just like six games minimum in a day. And yeah, that was pretty grindy to me because I'm not very used to this super high, super long hours kind of Dota. I, I still need to go out to, to do some exercises or work out a little bit. So yeah, recent days, I'm grinding a lot lesser right now because I'm more focused on doing content right now. Speaking about six hours and all this grinding thing, since you're in the, uh, in the Chinese Dota scene, I think you have heard of this thing called Tian Kang Tong, which is like oh. a so-called healthy system where it actually blocks you from playing after that. I think five yeah. hours or something. What does it mean to pro players, actually? Uh, I, think, I think this... Thing it, it acts more like a reminder, more like a you know, rather than a block. Cause when I tune into Perfect World, I do see that thing, you know, uh reminding you that okay, uh, you know, don't play too much, go out to experience some life, things like that. But to pro players, man, you know, they they practice so many hours a day um in a screams, you know, in a scream setting, and then after that, they are, they want to play pop to work on their personal skills as well. I don't know if it actually stops them from playing more actually i think it is a good reminder for the players but i don't think it blocks and in any effective way yeah perfect world perfect i tried to log into perfect world servers now you need a identification card number and a chinese phone number and 
I think majority of us listening, if they play Dota, they'll probably play on C servers. And I think mm-hmm. C servers are well known to be toxic, high skill but toxic, even in low, lower brackets. Do you agree yeah. with that? Um, I'm not sure if Southeast Asia should be labelled as so, because I feel like every different region, I don't know, got, got a pool of toxic players in of their own. Um, I just don't think it's fair for Southeast Asia to be labelled as toxic. High skill, yeah. I think, you know, very unenthusiastic in communication, yeah, as well. Because, you know, people in Southeast Asia, they speak so many different languages. Sometimes communication is just really not the kind of thing in, in pub games. Uh, so, but yeah, I, I would say though, the attitude of Southeast Asia is super try-hard. Like everyone is super try and try hard to win. And maybe that's why, you know, some people gone down the wrong route to be a little bit toxic. But still, I think the attitude itself in Southeast Asia players, you know, ultimate goal is to win. It is very admirable still. I, I wanted to see you mention that you are a talent. And what does it take, you know, to be an analyst or caster right now that you're doing? What does it take? Uh, I would say just, like, first of all, you need, you, need, you need to have a decent amount of understanding in the game for sure. And then after that, um, all the knowledge on the player's background and uh, uh, whatsoever related to that, I think those are very, very important too. Um, and I, I would just say to be a talent, like I wouldn't give any advices because I'm still at the very grinding stage and I don't think I'm in any position to give advice, but I do feel like recently I've understand that for, a ta- for, for someone to be a talent, you need to find a unique point uh, of yourself. You need to be special so that people will want to listen to you. You need to bring something different to the table and just be unique especially in your own way and with that i will say um the chances will come to um you very very soon as a talent can you explain decent because decent is different in everybody ter- everybody's terms so what is your decent um i would say right right now the meta is you know basically the same and uh, if the meta is always going to be established pretty fast in the pro scene, right? So if you, are, if you are able to listen, first step, I think, the first step is to listen to the casters that are casting some of the tier one level or tier two level tournaments. And if you understand everything that they say and you can connect to that, you already know what are they going to say coming next. You kind of have a pretty good idea on how the game is going to fall out or pan out. And I will say that probably is, is, is what, what is decent in a way. Um, and I think that's probably not very hard because as long as you put enough time to study what the casters say, and I think I think that would be already pretty good uh, to be to to be a to hit the level of being a being a talent. So obviously, please. you know, a, sorry, sorry, yeah, click continue. I mean, obviously, some some people, you know, some of the talent they have experience playing a team, they experience coaching some teams as well, or managing. That's why they bring a lot of unique uh, point of views, right? But if you don't have that, I'm pretty sure that if you spend enough time to gather all these different points from different talents, you already have you already have enough weapons in your arm in your in your, in your arsenal to create and to bring uh, a this decent level of understanding. Who do you think is the best caster right now, or either over a span of this entire thing? Oh, that's a hard question. Um. Allow me to, you know, change the question a little bit. I would just say yeah, sure. my favorite caster, my favorite talent 
I really like our plus. Um, yeah, uh, the Spanish talent that has been the bridge to Western and the South American scene. And he's also perfect in his English, which is his secondary language, I think, which is, which is something that I admire a lot because English is also my secondary language, but I'm never, you know, I'm nowhere close to his level in, the, in, in terms of language. And he's so passionate, so enthusiastic as well. Uh, he has a very, he's a very eloquent, you know, artic very articulate as well in expressing his ideas. So I love him a lot. I love that guy. Another one I would say is definitely Kyle. I, I like Kyle a lot too. I think he he is a very unique personality in the scene. And I, I and I think he understands that at the end of the day, esports is entertainment. And if you are stepping to the broadcast desk, you want to be entertaining. You want to be able to share stories in interesting ways as well. So I think he I think he does that perfectly so far. And I'm drawing a lot of inspiration from him. About our, our plus, he is one of the casters, casters at TI. And I think all of us know what happened at TI. And do you consider this the best TI? Because I have a friend that he he has played since the first the first Dota, Dota one. Just yeah. Wolf. Yeah. And he said this is the best TI ever since TI3. What's your opinion on that? Mm, I think this TI was definitely very hard because it's the first TI in two years. And everyone is um really really looking forward to it, but I've I kind of feel like the hype dies down died down a lot because of COVID, um especially how serious and severe the situation was becoming in Romania. To me, I I still love you know the environment of having a stadium full of fans and cheering for the players in the booth. So to me, I feel like my personal favorite is still TIA and TNI. I think you, those two are equally good to me and equally inspiring to me. Do you attend those two events? Or nah, I haven't went to I haven't been to any any of the TI yet, unfortunately. How about TI 10? Do you actually get a ticket? Nah, I didn't. <laughs> so I, I was planning to though. I was planning to, uh, but but yeah, it was just too hard for Malaysians to get out of the country. You need to have permission from the country to, you know, have you need to have a valid reason to get the permission as well. And going here as a viewer definitely is not valid enough. So unfortunate. So uh, I actually I was going through your Twitter just now for all the, the the stuff that you actually report on. Where do all the leaked information come from actually? Because there it's pretty hard, you know, to get information out of such a close environment where no one knows anything. Ah, this is this is where a magician never reveal his magic, <laughs> but but I mean, uh, yeah, it's just you know by talking to a lot of players, by by having connections to player, knowing the players, hearing some things here, hearing some things there, uh, uh yeah, I, I think I think I think it's just like that, and also you know just being very active in scouting informations in different different platforms in different forums as well. There's a lot of you know forums like that that leak information. Then when I see them, when I, when I think to myself, maybe this is logically going to happen, then I'll ask some of my friends in the circle if they have heard the same thing or if they can verify um, that for me. So that's basically how I get information. Yeah. So this process of verification and understanding, also does it make you, does it make you a better caster or talent? Uh, oh, I, was, I would definitely hope to say so. Because I, I think, like I said just now, you know, for a talent to have a place in the scene, you need to be unique. 
And I think this is one of the ways that you can be unique as well to bring the viewers something that they really want to know, which goes back to the root of why I wanted to create Connecting the Dude podcast as well. So you mentioned it's not that you were a coach for a certain amount of time. And there's this drafting space, a drafting phase in the start of each game, right? To those of you out there that don't know what's drafting, it's basically a time where teams ban and pick heroes and just find good matchups if possible. And how mm-hmm. important is that? Oh, it, it is getting more and more important by days, I think. Like by every, every, every single year, you see that the, the draft is becoming more and more important and impactful to the game, to the result. I think back then, you know, you can always hear that people would say, draft is only 30% of the game. You know, 70% still comes to the execution. But because every one, every team is getting better and better in understanding Dota, in playing Dota. And if I think, I think to this date right now, I would say draft is equally important as the execution and as the gameplay. Because drafting... Everyone is so good in understanding the disadvantages and advantages between matchups. And I think when you go to this high of a level, it's very hard to just straight up salvage the disadvantage in drafting phase purely by skill, skill, uh, uh, your skill in the game. So yeah, I would say it's equally as important as gameplay. Do you think what happened at TI9, the Alliance and Insignia thing, if you throw it back to, let's say, TI2, do you think it will be as bad as a problem? Oh, that's a good question, actually. I actually think it wouldn't be as bad if you go back to TI2. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think it's that bad. But the thing is, Gyro, I don't know if it has released in TI2 or not, so I can't really you know, do any anal- analysis on that. But, but yeah, I think back then, you know, people, really, people, people played Dota a lot more on the skill. To me personally, at least. Also, be- I, I, I say this because I, I only got into Dota competitively during TI5. I only start learning the game in a competitive manner. So I'm not sure really how things were like before TI5. So I don't think I can make a very strong point here on this question. Yeah. Another thing, because you mentioned that you've been playing pubs a lot. Uh, you're not really playing competitive and you're just having fun. I know people that actually turn on Dota buff and play all, and put in all the heroes you want to play, put in the counters and everything, and mm-hmm. go and pick the heroes. But, you know, Size Asia, they pick carry hard support, so it's a bit depressing. <laughs> uh. yeah, so, yeah. so they recommend like having these statistics while going into just random game and have fun? Uh, well, I mean, it really depends, right? Because some different people, they grind Dota in different way. Like for me, I'm kind of the kind of go happy-go-lucky kind of grinder. If I am dead serious in my grind, I will get burned out really fast. You know, I'll, I'll have this crazy losing streak hitting at me like randomly. But when I'm approaching the game happily and I'm playing happily when I'm in shield form, I tend to perform a lot better. So I think first of I think the first point of this is that when you want to grind, you need to identify which kind of grind is suitable for you. Are you the happy-go-lucky guy? Or can you play 10 games in a row with dead serious mode and you can still perform? I know some of the younger players are like that. For example, someone like Trenchy Savage, LTW, AME, you know, these kind of players, they are known to be able to play a ton of games in a day. And then they will be still performing at a very high level. 
But some, I assume not everyone is like that. You know, there will be some of people like me that need to be, you know, put in the very chill settings to perform well. So I would say, first off, to really identify what kind of grind is suitable for you and then take different approach that are, uh, that are you know, available and suitable for you too. Yeah, I know your opinions are pro players in pubs because you mentioned AME. Um, I think maybe you have seen the video that he played in a European pub and this Bruce screwed up his game as a troll. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think this affects Dota as a whole? Like, because, you know, it's a lot of swearing, it's a lot of, you know, cursing back and forth. Do you think it affects, mm-hmm. like, this entire community as a whole, you know, since a pro player is doing it? Uh, oh, definitely, definitely. You know, I, I think this leads to a very big topic where whether or not pro players need to hold themselves as a role model to other, other, other players, right? And the people that are watching them, people that are cheering for them, um, definitely can get affected by that kind of bad behavior, I would say. But once again, you know, Dora is such a high-intensity game. Some, somewhere along the way, you, you know, one would get out of control. I would just say that, you know, the limit is where you really need to play very carefully. We have also seen very recently, uh, Buranija from Chicken Fighter was, you know, uh, yeah. threatening Excalibur, right? I think yeah, that, so. is just, that is just way too out of the line. But if you're just saying like, you know, if you're just laying out your frustration and that is related to the game itself, right? for example, why are you not stunning this guy? Why are you not doing this or that? You know, I think that's totally possible. I, I, sorry, not possible, but acceptable in a way. Because in real life, you encounter, we, will, we will be encountering this kind of situation as well, right? When you get you know, caught out by not doing things correctly. But when this kind of thing escalated to a personal level where you start threatening the others, that is no way to be accepted in, in my opinion. So the line needs to be drawn very closely. Anything like death threat, anything like um, threatening your own, you know, safety, anything like that, it just needs to be controlled, I think. Have you played with any pro players like in pubs? Do you think they are like really friendly people, majority of them? Uh I haven't ha- I haven't had the luxury to play with too many pro players, but I would say that a lot of people they are totally different when they're when they are put in a pub setting and a team setting. Some of the people they get irritated and tilted easily in pub games because you know, they are the kind of people that have a, a high expectation of the gameplay, of the quality of the game itself. So when the pop players, the teammates are not living up to the standard, it could get quite irritating. But these kind of players, when they are in a team setting, right, they could be a very healthy force that push their teammate to a higher standard. So I think it's really hard to determine whether a player is good or not just by looking their, at their pub attitudes. I think it's not that fair because I know a fair amount of players that are totally different in two settings, including myself even. So you mentioned about you playing pubs a lot, right? What's your longest win streak ever in pub? I mean, you don't mind lose streak as well. Mm, I think... I'm not the kind of explosive guy that can win 20 games in a row. I think my recent one that I can remember is probably 11. Yeah, 11 is probably my longest win streak recently. My, my longest losing one, probably somewhere around 15 to, 15 to 20. Maybe not 20, that's a little bit too far away. I would say 15. 
Yeah, but I I do want to say though, I'm a guy, I'm a player that I can get more losing streak than winning streak. I don't know why. Yeah, it just feels like you know if I if I start losing, I will and I am and if I keep playing, I'll just keep losing all the way. So this, which is why I you know try to not grind so much recently. Yeah, know what's your favorite hero? Like just play, have fun and play. Um, for support, it would be Rubik. Um, for carry, it would be PA Phantom Assassin. Yeah. Okay. Especially so- when I'm stressed, man. Especially when I'm stressed, I play PA. I just feel good, you know, just creating people down, killing people in one shot. It feels good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's a way to release stress, right? Gaming is a way to release stress. So, you know, you're in the esports scene right now. And I want to know your op- opinions on esports in general, not just Dota, but as a whole, everything. Even Valorant, at one point, Fortnite, PUBG. PUBG is still really big right now. Yeah, so even mobile games like Clash of Clans and Mobile Legends. What's your opinion on esports? Mm, I mean, it's the future, man. I, I, I do believe that, you know, sincerely that it is the future. I remember um, Charles Buckley in NBA, you know, the, the mm-hmm. Houston Rocket veteran. Yep. He once said that he thinks esports right now is, the, is at the 90s of NBA. It's like the 90s of NBA. Uh, wait, am I saying it correctly? Esports right now is like NBA at 1990s. So... You know, it's kind of like a, we are still in a very growing stage. We are still in a very uh, new phase for an industry. And I do believe that at one point, if you keep going, you know, if everyone keeps contributing, if we grow at a constant, gradual, healthy way, I would say that esports at one day will eventually be as big or as equal as all of the traditional sports out there. For example, NBA, um, you know, the Premier League for football, so, from yourself, as a caster, as a former coach, as an analyst, what are your tips to be a better player? Mm, to me, I truly believe that thinking and watching and learning is uh, are a lot more important than playing. So, I would say, um, for anyone out there that's struggling to break through your current phase, be MMR or understanding of the game or skill-based, you know, try to take a step back, watch games, learn games, you know, try to find out what are the pro players doing that you are not doing, what are the things that they are understanding that you don't understand right now. Try to find out these gaps and fill it and find some way to fill it as well. So, you know, because I, I do think that Dora, at the end of the day, is a game that you need to use a lot of brain. It's, a, it's like chess, you, you want to outsmart your enemy more so than outskill your enemy. Uh, which is why I've, I, which is why I believe, you know, TI, TI eight and nine OG, they are the best teams in the world because they are just, they're just showcasing a much higher understanding of the game than anyone else at the moment. So yeah, that's my tips. How about Team Spirit now? Team Spirit, uh, I don't know, man. To me personally, because I haven't followed them too much before TI, I still think that you know we don't really know too much about Team Spirit. Because their, their grind to the TI-10 was also very roller coaster as well. They dropped to TI-10. You know, they dropped to lower bracket. And then every single series that they moved on, people will always doubt that, all right, this is, the, this is probably the end of Team Spirit already. But then they make all the way to grand final and then they won. And then people still think that, all right, this should be a pretty easy game for LG, PSG, LGD. But then they prove it wrong again. So I do admire those, you know, kind of, uh, uh, how to say, uh, insp- 
I, I do think that they are very inspiring and I do admire their, their perseverance and persistence in the game as well. Because Miposhka, I heard this name since TI7, man. Like he played for Empire, you know, he, I think he was with Empire with the stand-in from Resolution and then they, they took down EG, I believe. I'm not, too, I'm not too sure, but then, you know, they took down some big teams and there is when I know that this guy, Miposhka, he, he is built differently. So I want to head on to this segment. It's a relatively new segment in this podcast and it's a pop quiz. It's a very simple okay. pop quiz. And have you watched Arkane Dota, Dota Split? Mm, unfortunately, I haven't finished it. I, I was only in first or second episode, I think. Okay, I think that would be good enough. So it's okay. just a very simple six question. And yes. So the first question is LL or Dota? Should be pretty easy for you, uh, right? Dota for sure, man. Do you, don't even have to ask. Yeah. <laughs> Next one. Arcane or Dota's blood? I mean, mm, Dragon's no. blood. What was I saying? <laughs> I mean, definitely Arcane for this one. Uh, I haven't finished either of one, but at least I feel like I'm more inclined in finishing Arcane. Yeah. Off lane, mid lane, or safe lane? Off lane. This is not really a uh, two question. This is more of a a selection. What is okay. your favorite team right now? Right now, um, Quincy Crew, because my boy Ponlo is there. Okay, great. Your favorite player? My favorite player, Ponlo. Man, this pressing up your bro. Okay, great. Last one. Southeast Asia servers or Perfect World servers? I would say perfect world when the scene is healthy, you know. Because perfect world so far, you, you, I, I don't know if you heard, there's a lot of actors, you know, the game quality is very, very low, a lot of booster as well, but mainly the actors. So if you don't consider those, I would say China has the be- best pubs in the world because their communication is just so fucking beautiful. I think, I think, those, are, I think those are real Dota. In Southeast Asia, you know, it's, just trying to outskill enemy by your own. But in China, it's really, they are really playing Dota like a team. Hmm. So you mentioned, so is it, that's why that they need identification card, they need phone numbers, <laughs> they need so many stuff. Even your I, think so. I think so. I think I actually think so. Yeah. Is it your time that you just need an email to get into perfect world servers? Oh no. So I think, I think people, I think people mistaken this thing. I believe if you are, you only need all those identification thing to verify your, your identity when you're creating a new account. But if you already have an account, I believe you can just use VPN and then use your own account and go to Perfect World and play the pubs. So yeah, I think, I think all the identification thing is only for you to create a new account. Yeah. So I think that, that I'll use VPN next, I guess. And use yeah. my semi-proficient Chinese to try to speak to them. <laughs> So, I'll head to my last two questions. And why is your advice to anyone just want to go into casting to any games or just any esports? Any advice? Uh, as I said, like, I don't think I'm in a position to give advice, like, but I will share my what I understand. No? Like I said just now, uh, finding a unique point of yourself is very important. And try to build an identity or uh, a brand of yourself is also very important. 
I think I think for the past two years when I'm casting, right, I'm just so focused on how to level up my understanding of the game, you know, try to impress people in the Dora way. But slowly and you know, slowly, slowly I felt like I feel like and I found out it's not just Dora that is important. Your marketing of yourself, your branding of yourself, you know, basically you as a whole, as an identity is also very important. People want to be interested in you, and then people will want to see more of you. That's where you will get more opportunities to, to actually be on events. So uh, that's something that I've, I've learned so far and I, I found out so far. How true it is, is it? I am not really sure, but I'm believing it that is true at the moment right now. <laughs> yeah. And for another thing is that, you know, to, to go into such a small scene, you definitely need people to give you opportunities. So make friends along the way. Um, try to be friendly, try to make more friends. And the more friends you get, um, the more the higher chance you are gonna get some opportunities. My last question, right now, based on what you watch, and the very so little information that you have, aside from CN because they have not played any um DPC games yet, who would win TI eleven? Oh man, this is such a tough question. Uh, I would say on paper, on paper, I think Liquid looks really strong. I think Liquid um, is definitely, I would say definitely top three uh, in the world in, in terms of winning the shuffle season. I think they got themselves an incredible um, roster for themselves. I think Secret looking pretty interesting too. You know, a lot of star players, a lot of veterans. And I'm look, really looking forward to seeing this chemistry between Isercise and Puppy. Um, on the other hand, in Southeast Asia, I would say the Fnatic T1 looking pretty strong too. Uh, okay, I know your, what your question is, you know, who winning TI-11. I would say my favorite to go is, uh, my favorite go-to is still PSG LGD. Yes, there you uh, go. I believe, I believe they have a, yeah, very good shot at it. Yeah. It's, it's sad for them, right, to just get the two grand finals game five and losing it. Yeah. So it's pretty hard for them. Hopefully they win next year. And Leon, it's great talk. It's great speaking to you right here. And I think that's the end of today's show. Of course, a big thank you to Leon for joining us and taking out your time from your schedule. And to our viewers, if you enjoyed today's episode, a follow would be greatly appreciated and that will help us tremendously as well. We'll be posting every fortnightly at 8pm GMT plus 8. And now, you can stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now even on YouTube. How far did we go, man? You can now find out more about me on my Instagram at Herman underscore punk. And if you like, you can DM me. I'll probably reply. Anyway, thank you and see you next time. Hope you have a great day, night, or any other time that you're listening to this too. Bye-bye.